we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano. It is an insider look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on hot topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Teledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Good morning, USA! Yo, 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 I'm DJ Envy. And I go by the name of Charlemagne the God with the world's most dangerous morning show, The Breakfast Club. And currently, we are on vacation. Man, totally disconnected. Yes, We're not even really here. You think you're listening to us, but we're not. Well, we are not. We're here in spirit. Yeah? Yeah. And we're going to be playing uh, some of our top interviews and some throwbacks. So, keep it locked. Red is going to be running the boards. And uh, we'll see you in the new year. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Let's go. This is your time to get it off your chest. Whether you're man or black. Say it with your chest. We want to hear from you on the Breakfast Club. So if you got something on your mind, lay it out. Hello, who's this? Good morning. This is Sandra. Oh, my God. I can't believe I made it through. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. Hey, Sandra. Guys. Good morning. You guys, the epitome of black elite. You guys are great. Oh, man. Thank I, you, Sandra. I just want to get off my chest that I think Biden was wrong for just getting BG out. I think they should have fought harder to get the Marine out. He fought for our country. I mean, it wasn't an even trade. I get it 100%. But I just think he should have fought harder to get both of them out. I I don't disagree. You know, I'm happy BG is home, but I don't disagree. 
that's all I have to say. But thank you guys. Yes, ma'am. Love right. you guys. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye. Hello, who's this? What's up, Envy? What's up, Trav? <laughs> I'm about to say ye. Oh, well, you know what? You listening? Good morning, ye. What's up, Sean? What up, sis? How you? I'm doing good. Listen, y'all. And justice is finally being brought to the light. That happened to me, y'all. What happened? What happened? So, <laughs> remember I told y'all a couple years back. Oh, about the rectal prolapse. About what? Never mind. What <laughs> happened? That Roland Ray has scammed me out of eighty-five dollars. And y'all, the same room finally brought it to the light that he is scammer. And then he had his scamming people. Envy, I know how you feel about getting, about getting scammed now. How did he scam yeah, you? How did he, he scam me? Why would you send him eighty five dollars? Because I paid him eighty five dollars. I told y'all this that I paid this man eighty five dollars to post me for this thing that has gone for I was doing for like on uh, the LGBT community. He had like a, a bunch of like gay and like you know LGBT followers, and he took my money and just disappeared. And they did an investigation on him yesterday and locked him up. And bring me to testify because I'm snitching. I'm telling on them. Yeah, we're going to report that story next. Yeah, it says Roland Ray, uh, a.k.a. the most famous boy in a wheelchair, has been accused by several social media users of being a scammer. He is a scammer. And I'm I'm snitching on him. Please, lock him up. Now, allegedly, Send him to prison. Allegedly, they claim that... Uh, People pay him for shout-outs, uh, $76 to $100 for shout-outs. But after sending the money, they say he took their cash and rolled out. Salute to Roland Ray, man. <laughs> Salute to Roland Ray. Roland Ray yes. out here hustling, man. Drop one of the clues bombs for Roland Ray, man. No, no. Don't drop one of the clues. <laughs> nah, man. Roland Ray out here hustling, man. You know what I'm saying? Y'all bothering that man for shout-outs. You know what I mean? I need to be charging y'all for shout-outs. I'm not mad at Roland Ray. Go ahead, Roland Ray. Do your thing, bro. Don't allegedly envy when you report it. You know somebody personally who he scammed. It's not allegedly. Roland Ray ain't scamming nobody. Y'all asking that man for shout-outs. He'll get he'll get to it when he get to it. When he get to it. That's right. He got some right. things on his mind. He'll get to shouting y'all out when he get to it. Huh? It's been a year, son. Well, he, he, he backed up. Clearly, he got a long log. He going to roll up on you soon. Don't worry about it. Bye. <laughs> Mad at that man, bothering that man for shout outs, man. Hello, who's this? It's your boy O'Neal from Houston, Texas. O'Neal from Ace Town. What up? Get it off your chest, brother. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to my boy DJ Authentic, aka DJ Envy, on a good season one, episode eight of East New York. You did your thing, man. Thank you, brother. Uh, you know, I was excited to do that, and uh, they're going to bring me back. I think I'm on. Um, the first episode in the new year, and hopefully they bring me back for some other stuff, man. I'm excited about it, man. I love that series. The show is really good if you haven't seen it. It's called East New York. It's on CBS. Great show, and I'm just excited. He definitely snitching. About me. He's snitching. He definitely going to snitch the next episode. I held it down the, the first episode. So <laughs> they going to break him. They ain't breaking me. Yeah. Well, also, uh, I want to say uh, that uh, hip-hop uh, homicide, that's also good with Pop Smoke. Man. It's hip-hop homicide, first of all. Yeah, I, I Hey, I say I say homicide the same way. Where you from? I'm from Louisiana, but he, I stay in uh, Houston. Yeah, it's a southern thing, I guess, because I say hip hop homicides too, but it's homicides. Hey, that's one of the best shows on TV, man. Salute to Van Lathan and Fifty Cent, Mona, Mona Scott, Scott Young. Yes, that's one of the best shows on television, man. Yeah, this week uh, they're gonna be diving into uh, the murder of XXX Attention and uh, it's Tentacion. Tentacion. Yeah. And then after that, they're gonna uh, do Mo Three from Dallas. Uh, and then they're gonna do uh, damn, I don't want to say his, his name wrong. Uh, FBG Duck, yeah, out in Chicago. Right, I got a feeling they're gonna do one on takeoff too. Well, not nah, well, not this year because th those are the last three that they got. XXX is Tension, 
uh, Motri and FBG Duck. But like I said, the, the, the way that you know so many of our, our hip hop stars are passing and being killed. I mean, this show, it, it can continue I on. And I like how they on. do the show, though, yeah, because, because the show addresses, like, all the socioeconomic conditions mm -hmm. that lead to things right, like right. this happening. They deal with people's trauma. They deal with a lot of these brothers' hurt and anger. So it's not just exploitation of a murder, you know? Correct. And right, they talk to right, the right exactly. people. They talk to the right people, the family members, people involved, police officers, uh, special agents, friends. Uh, pastors yep. and then they try to get a solution of, of why you know hopefully this can be solved and stopped and, and maybe it's a good show bro y'all need y'all y'all need to keep watching it uh, for people that ain't watching I ain't gonna give too much about it but hey it's a good show right and you can stream it on All Black uh, and they got all the episodes up there shout out to Van Lathan man he, did an, uh, he does an amazing job on that show alright man y'all have a good morning peace king get it off your chest it's the Breakfast Club good morning the Breakfast Club Get it off your chest. Hey, I just want to get off my chest, man. I just want to give uh, give both you and Charlemagne, you guys, flowers actually, because honestly, you know, y'all push, you know, y'all help me help me push through a whole summer with like, you know, just like listening to y'all every day, and it's also just even during you know during school and all that stuff. And I just want to give y'all both y'all y'all flowers, you know, the brown man and all that stuff. Like you know, y'all really like you know gave you know gave a lot of motivation for me and all that stuff. And it's like you know, I had a lot of laughter too, also. So I just want to give y'all y'all flowers and all. And say thank you. All right, thank, thank you, you man. Appreciate that. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, hey, y'all have a good morning now. You too, man. Hello, who's this? What's going on? This is Sean. Sean, what up? Get it off your chest. Hey, man, I just want to get it off my chest this morning. But first of all, let me say good morning, Charlemagne. Good morning, uh, and you know what I'm saying? Good morning, fellas. How y'all doing today? I'm doing good, Peace, brother. King. How, How you feeling? You? I'm doing good, man. I'm celebrating my birthday, you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm lit right now, man. I'm on my way to work, actually, you know. I you know, I just wanted to let y'all know, man. I really appreciate y'all in the morning time, man. I appreciate that. I really love you to the day, man. Like in the morning time, man. But you know what I'm saying? Y'all give me that 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 perk. You know what I'm saying? To, to give me through the day, man. I appreciate y'all. All right, thank, thank you, you King. Yes, sir. And uh, Sean, I wanted to ask you about your book too, man. Uh, can I get? Is it any way possible I can get a copy of it? I don't have any at the current moment. I have to get a, a new shipment of um, Black Privilege and Shook one in. But as soon as I get them, uh, I, can, I can get your information and we can send it out at a later date. But I can send you uh, a Black Effect snapback right now. You know, my podcast network, Black Effect. I can send you that right now. Oh, yeah, that's dope. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. Hold on, brother. Right. Okay. Yeah, Taylor, Red, one of y'all, put him on hold, get his email and send that out today, please. He's line three. Hello, who's this? Hello, this is uh, Messiah the One. Hey, um, I'm inspired writer. Uh, I want to, uh, advice on how to move my book forward, like getting involved with publishing companies and things of that nature. Have you written a book yet, sir? Excuse me? Have you written a book? Yes, I have. Have you self-published? Yeah, yeah, I self-published it. Um, yeah, I sent it to you one day, uh, Charlemagne, up to the radio station. I don't know What's how the name of it? It's called, um, Real S.H.I., The Presence of the Baby Boy. Oh, man, I got to look for that one. Yeah, I sent it like uh, I sent it like maybe a month ago. I told Envy too. I gave Envy a copy for all of y'all at the, uh, but well, he said you know he's he busy. He works, too, you know. Well, I I can't tell you the process of how to get it done, but I you know I have a book publishing company called Black Privilege Publishing through Simon & Schuster. We put out uh, Tamika Mallory's State of Emergency, How to Win in the Country We Built, and we put out Anita Kopak Shallow Waters, and we have some amazing releases on the way. So only thing I can tell you is that I will definitely uh, look for your book and, and and check it out. And, you know, you can leave your information, but I can't give you no information on how to get a book 
deal. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, what I would tell you is keep doing what you're doing. I mean, I think you try to give me the book at the car show, but I would keep popping, oh, yeah. up, popping up at these places where people are and trying to sell that book. And it's like anything else. It's like back in the day, you got to go hand to hand. You got to be out yeah. there that's selling and pitching. Doing. You know? Yeah, because I'm. A, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. I'm. I'm always looking for fresh authors. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I have a lot of. We have a lot of releases coming on. Black Privilege Publishing from a you know a, a lot of people that folks know, but I'm always looking for fresh publishers that got great stories. So I'm a, I'm gonna look for that book, my brother. Yeah, well get it off your chest. The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. You know, some people have to wait a certain amount of time. Some people had to pay. Some mm. people it was just a conversation. So what was the process with you getting your master's back? All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. Conversation but time. You, yeah, yeah. But you know, when you when you have when you sign. You know, from our era when we did deals, it was standard for the labels to have control of the master for like seven years, mm -hmm. and then some of it was oh, let me buy that back, mm -hmm. and then some of it, you know, it was all three. Do you talk to a lot of the Detroit artists? Because Detroit is a new wave of artists coming out. Mm -hmm. Do you get a chance to speak with the, the younger artists and say, hey, this is how you should be signing your deals, or is it one of those things when you're young, you're like, ah, oh, that we know what we're doing anyway. Nah, I, I speak to him as much as I can. This is one of them. Okay. <laughs> this, this dude is like enlightened beyond his years. But there's a few artists that I kind of mentor, not to the degree of him. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of companies, they come with a bag of money. They don't have much to offer. But since they have money up front and they're catching these guys at a time where they kind of need money mm -hmm. or they feel like that they need money, it's already in the contract. I actually read somebody's proposal. And it said, we will have ownership of the master in perpetuity. Mm. And then we'll split everything 60, 40, 60, us, 40, you, and give you a $5,000 advance. And um, he was thinking about signing that. For $5,000? God damn. Because that's the opportunity. Be, yeah, because we don't. 5000 Number one, we program to think short-sighted. Correct. We have no kind of like idea of how to place value on that master so early on. We don't know what it's going to be worth until it comes out and then it goes mm -hmm. and then it's like, damn, okay, now I know a little bit more. Right. Now I want to go get the master back. Now mm -hmm. it's the same old song and dance publicly from a public platform. You bashing some company or something like that, right. which that don't look good either. It's an investment. The problem is we don't always understand the complexity of the deals. But you True. can't be mad. Because you can't be mad. You, at you, you have to have a, an attorney. So that means your attorney looks over that paperwork in most cases. Yeah, but the your attorney is their attorney. That's right. We got. We, I give you an attorney. It's just an attorney at the label. You <laughs> yeah, all the time. You can have an attorney. But you know how that conversation came up in the car? Yeah. I said, do you think it's possible for me, a black man, mm -hmm. to cultivate a real meaningful relationship with an artist? And own his masters, and I said, "Yeah." He but said, "For, no. for periods, for any period of time." I th I think so. Is there is there any point where that artist is gonna get a little bit wiser, a little bit bigger, and then look look at it in retrospect? Is it possible for him or her not to harbor I, some resentment? Negotiate though. Yeah, I agree uh -huh. with you, Royce. Negotiate though. Like when that artist catches that hit, it has to be a point where it said, "Okay." I made my money back off the investment because it's not mm -hmm. just $5,000. Mm -hmm. You got to pay for travel. You got to pay for water. That's the biggest part. You're paying for traveling. You're so paying for What would your shows. renegotiation be? It depends how big the record is. Like, for perfect example, right? Cardi B. Mm -hmm. When Cardi B was first signed, they put a lot into Cardi B. But then she took off. That should have been a renegotiate right then and there. Mm -hmm. You got the one of the biggest female artists. I give her half the company. But then what happens mm -hmm. when you got 
five Cardi B's on your label. Exactly. And now that's you, what I was going to say, too, about the Masters conversation. It's about the investment you put in them. Right. You know what I mean? I don't want none of your Masters if, if I didn't make a large investment. But if I made a large investment, eh, I can see why. I got to get right. it back. And mm-hmm. we're going to be held to a different standard than the labels would be. Yeah. yeah. You hear the way you talk about Hove, Puff. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. don't, don't nobody yeah, talk absolutely. about Lior. Don't mm-hmm. nobody talk about none of these labels. Correct. But let Ho do something, let Chug do something, let any of us do something. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, man, you wrong. How could you do that? You know what I mean? And but I- when you invest in somebody, you're paying for everything, right? So you're paying for studio time. Mm-hmm. You're paying for them lights to be on. You're paying for the engineer. You're paying for the food, the per diem, the water, traveling, hotels, wardrobe if they don't have it. Now he has to make a record. If that record don't pop, you don't get none of that money back. So, and but you're doing it on some family and that creates a, a sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. That's why I asked in the context of building, cultivating a relationship. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we do everything on some, on some family. You know what I'm saying? So it's difficult to be able to do that kind of business and cultivate a relationship. Is that the other problem, too, though, that uh, black executives do do the family thing? We're a family. We, we, we rock for life. We bad boy for life. Isn't that it just be more business? That's what it always feels like. Even when, like, you look at Meek signing the Ross or... Drake and you know Nikki signing the Wayne. It's a family. Mm-hmm. It's a family when we win. Yeah. But then when you start throwing them bricks out, then it's f that person that you just called your mm-hmm. family. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I don't. I, I don't have nothing to say to that because <laughs> I, I mean, but we it's, it's, we want. Family. It is kind of what it is. That's man. where we come from, though. In our culture, we come from broken families, so. The ability to make money with our family it ain't just music i mean it's, it could be the dope game too but at the end of the day it still starts with leadership i went out there when, when puff was working on the press play album mm-hmm. i went out there to work for him and this had me in a, like a midi room just writing verses over and over and over again while he was in the big luxurious a room with all of his celebrity friends and, and i was just like man this ain't paid me you know what i'm saying like this grimy about 10 years later after i was a little wiser I looked at him in retrospect, man. I had to hit him on the DM. I ain't have his number. I had to hit him on the DM, man, to tell him how much I appreciate him, how much I took from that. Like, it was because of that process that I started to rewrite in my own creative process. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, I didn't rewrite my own shit this much. Why don't I approach mm. my shit with this same kind of intensity? I pulled that from it and just the opportunity. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes, man, we take for granted the opportunity. And I looked at him. And thought about how many great things he's contributed to the culture and how much all of the bad stuff or the quote unquote bad stuff is always placed in front of us. Same with baby. I wish I could call baby mm-hmm. and tell him how great I think he is. You know what I mean? Because it's like every time you hear about these guys, it's all they they on drugs. They doing this kissing this in the mouth. This doing this. But it's like, bro, these been in existence since nineteen ninety seven. Nah, legends. If that was anybody else from any other culture of people, the would be they would be they statues. No, you're right. We have, we have to appreciate even Dame. I was I seen Dame this weekend. And I was on a panel with him, and in the middle of the panel, I had to say thank you. And he was like, "For what?" I was like, back then when I was doing mixtapes, even though it was like '99, I was like, "You had an opportunity to do the Rockefeller mixtapes with Clue, with SNS, with Flex, but you said you wanted a young DJ at the time, and you picked me." And I was like, "Thank you." Because you were cheaper. You know, he was shocked that I said thank you, but I was like, you know what? When you grow a little bit, you you really understand how how grateful it was to have that opportunity. Because mm-hmm. we don't have those opportunities. Yeah. You know? But I will say though, ten years ago you wasn't no new <laughs> Royce. No, 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 no. Uh, no, no, I was saying yeah, ten have years. you in the B room now, you ain't no new. Yeah. No, no, no. I was saying ten years later. 
from mm-hmm. when that was. Oh, okay. You remember the press play album? Yeah, but even with that, it, Royce, the 5'9 should have been treated with a little bit more respect, I think. No, no, no. I was on a private jet with him. We went to Tampa. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> it's just when we was up at Daddy's house. You remember how long ago Daddy's yeah, house yeah, was? Yeah. All right, we got more with Royce to 5'9. When we come back, don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. We're welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Teledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the coaches surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall, will give us his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. C.J. will be bringing his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoop takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Teledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. 
So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Royce to 5'9". Now, I gotta ask, Slaughterhouse, are y'all back on good terms? I I don't know what month this was, what week it was. I happened to turn it was on early this year. Instagram, and I seen y'all arguing on Instagram. You were the, you were the, you were the middleman. You were the one trying to calm things down, and they were going back and forth, and I just turned it off. I was like, I can't see these brothers arguing anymore. So y'all back good? I, I mean, I can never say we bad. You know what I mean? Like, they, listen, man. We built, we spent 10 years together, man. Damn near every day building something special. You know what I mean? And it just, it, it just ended in a very unfortunate way. But I can't just sum it up like that. Now we haven't spoken. Two of the guys, Crooked and Joel, made some, made some decisions that, you know, we can't really come back from in terms of business. That's really it. Decision was they decided to do their own group or do their own thing together? I'm gonna give you the short version. But me and Joe are sitting around minding our own business and we look up and they, they start rolling out a project. The project was called The Rise and Fall of Slaughterhouse. Mm. They put this project out and the project is announcing to the world that the group is over. And this is why we had already went through a long negotiation with, with Shady to pull the group off the label so we can do things moving forward. So we can make another album. So we can relaunch merchandise. So we can relaunch everything Slaughterhouse. So y'all were going to do another album. Even Joe was going to do get in the studio and do another album at that time. Absolutely. Okay. The whole album was basically about how Joe knock on rap. Crooked came to the table with a, with a deal idea. We didn't want to do it. So they over it. They're done. The group is done. And I just felt like that was a hell of a thing to blindside me with as a friend mm-hmm. and as a business partner. Because number one, if the group is going to be over, that's fine. Things are in. Let me know that. Or if you're going to go public and say that you're done with the group, that's cool. But don't just go public and just announce that the group is done. I expected more out of Crooked. I, I didn't have as much of a problem with Joel because, you know, me and Joel always been been cool. But me and Crook, well, I thought we were better than that. You know what I mean? So it was more of a personal thing. You know what I mean? But I, I can't. I can't bring myself to a point where I can get on a public platform and bash any of them, though. You know what I mean? I got too much love for them. Mm. And I think the amount of love I got for them is what made me so disappointed. Bun told me, like, when we first, when Slaughterhouse first became a thing, he called me and said, <clears throat> anytime I ever aired out anything publicly, if it involved family, I always regretted it. Mm. And that always resonated with me. Since that conversation, I went and done that probably 50 times. And I, <laughs> and I regretted it every time, mm-hmm. so... You know, so that's one of the things that I'm working on. So to answer your question, no, mm. no more slaughterhouse, but still nothing but love, always. I respect everything that you said, and and I feel like that should have been an easy conversation for Crooked and Joel because Joe don't want to rap. So if he don't want to rap, there's no slaughterhouse. So why shouldn't yeah. they be able to go do their own project? Well, well, it's easy to paint Joe as that because of how many things he said publicly. 
But when we're having conference calls and he's a part of every call and we're having creative conversations about what we're going to do next, you know what I mean? He was going to get back in there and do it. Joe's thing is I'm retired. Doing I'm in the content space, but I'm really into ownership right now. I will rap in Slaughterhouse if we own it. It can't be on Shady. And if we decide to take it to another label, I would be particular on how we would do that deal mm-hmm. because we already built it. This is something we built already. As y'all should. And I agree. It shouldn't just sit on Shady. If Shady doesn't want to release it, then this is respectfully because I love them too, mm-hmm. always. So to get to that point with Joe being way more knowledgeable, obviously myself being way more knowledgeable and then just having it in our possession and for them to just jump the gun like that because of a deal that he put on the table which he that's never been his role in the group but I mean anything that anybody put on the table I would consider it but I think that we should be allowed to ask questions right right, if I put something on the table for us and you ask questions or even if you say no does that mean everything is over or does that mean we go to another label we hadn't talked to any other labels yet we hadn't even talked to a label in that situation we talked to a guy who was talking to a label we never had nothing on paper there Mm -hmm. never was a proposal in black and white for us to look at it was just a conversation he didn't like how the conversation went Mm -hmm. so he decided them we're gonna go do this playing devil's advocate right do you feel like you know white devil's advocate white devil's advocate (laughs) (laughs) we know joe is doing well with, with, with his content creating everything that he's doing you're obviously doing well could it be a, a situation where maybe Joel and Crooked weren't doing as well because the group was so much financial for them I mean y'all were going on tours y'all I don't think y'all ever really got the money that y'all deserved yet mm-hmm. you feel like maybe that was their way of saying look I gotta feed my family at the end of the day possibly and I mean listen that makes it even worse because it's like bro if that's what it was we who you supposed to have been talking to mm-hmm. I understand the ups and downs so if it's if this is a downtime because there's been plenty of, of things that I've done that I've done because I one of the, one of my rules in the group was I don't like I'm not doing any three man shows all members got to be there it's been plenty of times Joe couldn't make it where they were like yo listen we need you to come do this because we need the money and I did it like Royce is gonna be playing it was a bad deal mm-hmm. there were times when when Joe was ready to rap and we couldn't get Crook to rap they don't talk about that <laughs> you know what I'm saying like well, I that. couldn't crook rap crook, crook always ready to rap crook didn't want no see see what I'm saying see see, people got the wrong impression about people and that's mm-hmm. why Joe is easy to paint as a certain thing he's and, an easy target yeah and Crook and Joel look old. like they look like the, the blue collar guys correct mm-hmm. you know the guys who you know willing to roll their sleeves up all that mm-hmm. crook he had his ways about him the whole time he's always had some issue with Joe that he wouldn't address it was always in the air. I, I'm, I can't quite put my finger on what that was, but this <laughs> didn't made Joe diss records. He didn't did all types. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People just didn't hear him. And there was a time where he was like, "Nah, I ain't rapping." Nobody went out and, and put out an album about him not rapping and, and saying that the group is over with. It, it's just it's messy. And then on the business side, it's like, "Yo, you you not up our you up your too." Mm-hmm. And then you know, like during the whole process. You had to paint me in a certain light in order to be able to do that. And I'm just trying to figure out what what did I do to deserve that? Yeah, and I mean, there's no reconciling because I, uh, I heard people getting invited to the Frank stand. I never did. Didn't somebody say SMD on one of those calls? Oh, no, no. Joe, no, Joe. I was like, Joe said Frank stand. Joe, yeah, Joe said that project, that project at SMD. He said that project. Yeah, that project can suck my yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe it was the project. So yeah, maybe that's not. That's just yeah. When, when I started yeah. seeing all I was like, oh, you know what? Enough. That was just that was just some joke to say though. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it wasn't like Joel know how Joe talk. You know what I mean? 
So that wasn't that wasn't really nothing. That was one of them things where you can take it. You can take it super super offensive and personal if you if you choose to. But Joe Joel said a lot of he said a lot of weird stuff too. You know what I mean? Like everybody played their part. I'm I, I'm holding myself accountable for the for the part that I played too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, it's a what little. What part late. did you play? You think? I mean, you're making it hard for me because I don't do much wrong, Charlie. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just I just um. I did that thing that I that I was talking about. I went on Joe's show and I I was frustrated and my reaction to what they did caused Crook to react to how I reacted. What he said made me block him. It made me block him on social media and made me block his number cuz I I don't I love him too much and I don't want nothing else to get said that's going to put me up there. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So and I don't feel like there's anything that should go on in the rap space. That should even bring you to that, you know what I mean? But we all we we all garden something, you know what I mean? Like we all garden, whether it's our egos. We come from environments where the measuring stick the cool is some souped up tough guy, shit, you That's know right. what I mean? Like everybody's like, watch how you talk to me, respect me, but everybody ain't being so respectful, you, you know. So well, we appreciate you brothers for joining us. Good to see Peace y'all, brothers. In the earth. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Your mornings will never be the same. When it's time to get with someone special, the best way to do it is with Magnum Large Size Condoms. That gold foil wrapper is a badge of honor and it means you're protected. And you take care of things with comfort. Except no substitutes. Bring the pleasure with the gold standard. Magnum Large Size Condoms. It's topic time. Call 800-585-1051 to join into the discussion with The Breakfast Club. Talk about it. Morning, everybody. It's DJ MV Charlamagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. Now, if you just joined us, we're talking about Kevin Gates. And he opened up the phone lines, 800-585-1051. Now, Kevin Gates posted this, uh, posted this on uh, Twitter yesterday. If a woman comes in the bathroom and talks to me while I'm taking the ish, I find that very romantic. Now, do you like when your um, wife comes in the bathroom and has a conversation with you, Charlamagne? Absolutely not. That's not something that we do. I hate poop, first of all. Don't like it. I know everyone does it, but it's literally one of my least favorite things to do. I don't look at it when it's in the toilet. I know some people like to look at it and make sure it's like, you know, in the the, the, the shape of the Superman logo. Like, I don't do, yeah, I don't do none of that. You know what I mean? I think when you are moving bowels, it's a sacred experience and you should expel waste by yourself. I don't want my wife in the bathroom with me while I'm pooping. It's nothing cute about that. It's nothing sexy about that. I mean, to me, Kevin Gates, that's his, to him to each his own, but to me, no. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I don't. I don't see nothing sexy with it. I don't want to have a conversation. Although I set up shop when I go to the bathroom, though. Like I set up. Like I'm not in the bathroom for like thirty seconds. I'm. I'm magazine. Nah, not me. Books. Nah. Uh, I got my phone. Nah, I'm too old. So I'm, my I'm leg. I'm doing is- something. I, I might be paying my bills. I'm doing. Like I. I. I really take my time. Like I. I sometimes I'm on there so long, my feet fall asleep. That, that happens to me all the time, and I don't even got to be on there long. That's why I don't do it no more. I meant to get. I, I like them uh, step stools. My, my sister Alicia Renee told me a long time ago to get one of them stools, like it's like a, like a squatty potty. There you go. When you put your legs up while you pooping. So you put your legs up while you poop? That's too. That's just too much. But I will tell you something. When I got a colonic, I did that. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. I'm not gonna lie. You, what part did you like? What? The colonic part. I like the whole process. Oh, okay. I mean, it's a little uncomfortable, but I'm talking about like when the, after the colonic is done, you got to go sit on the toilet in the colonic place. And she had a squatty potty in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie, man. I don't know if it was the colonic or the squatty potty, but it dumped. Like, you dumped. 
dump, dump. You know what I mean? It, it was, it felt good, and my legs weren't sleepy when I got up. I'm glad you find it good. But yeah, to answer your question, no, I don't want my woman in the bathroom with me while I'm taking a poop. Nah, me neither. And I don't want to be in there with her while she's taking. Nah, me neither. Hello, who's this? Hey, what's up? This is Sam representing the Bronx. Hey, what's up, bro? We're talking about, uh, you know, pooping in front of your uh, partner. All right, so check this out. Think about it. Normally, how many people have you pooped in front of? What? I've never right? thought, never thought about it. And not like even that. very few. Nobody besides my wife. And, and this is when, when it has to happen. But I'm, I don't think I've ever pooped in front of my wife. My mama when I was a baby. <laughs> Probably. Exactly. So the highest level of intimacy is pooping in front of your partner. No, it's so not. no more intimate than that. That is not That's true. That's romantic. That's just simply not, not true. not romantic. So, and, and only my wife only comes in the bathroom and she has to. Like, it might, like she might need something out the bathroom. And when she comes in there, she's coming in like full gas mask on like, ah! And by your logic, you might as well walk around with a diaper on and let your wife change you and wipe you and all kind of stuff. Is that like intimate that. too? Absolutely. It's all special. Have a, have a blessed day, sir. Have a blessed Don't day. Don't kink shame him. Have a blessed day. Don't kink shame him. Hello, who's this? Yeah, what's going on? Um, this is a stop. What's up, DJ MVO? This is lit. I'm walking on the radio. This is lit. It's lit. That's a fact. You poop in front of I your partner, though, bro? I'm sorry? You poop in front of your partner? Um, Yeah, I do. Definitely, you got to, because that, that lets you know that that's a, you got a real one. That means that they down for the it. You know what I'm Boy, saying? Boy, y'all got some real, y'all got some weird ways to make sure that your woman is a real one. Nah, because, you know, you, I mean, because you have to, because that's something natural, and people be like, ill, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you first start dating somebody, like, you hold, you know how many farts you hold in? Yeah, that's not healthy. You gotta let it out. So somebody that you can feel comfortable with, that, that let you, you, you good. First of all, first of all, I don't fart in my clothes. That's number one. That's number right. two, why would you want to fart around anybody? That's just disrespectful. Like, it just, like nobody just sits around and farts. You ain't never just been in a casual conversation with a person and they just fart. Maybe when you was a kid, but when you were an adult, you don't do stuff like that. So why would you do that around your wife? So this is what I do when I, if, if I'm in public and I got a fart, I just I just step away. I just say, excuse me. I step to the side, fart, and let it air out. Wait about a couple of seconds because you don't want it to linger and then to bring respect. the smell back. That's respect. That's, what you gotta do. That's respect. So why wouldn't you give your woman that same respect? Why would you fart in front of her just because you think you can? That's just disrespectful, bro. <laughs> for you, Island. We've been together for a while. You know what I'm saying? You fought. You gotta let. You gotta go. You gotta go. Like it's, like it's a family member at this point. If y'all, you know what I'm saying? No. Be there. I'm sure you fought in front of your wife. Uh, not on purpose. Yeah, but you gotta let it go. If, if, yo, you you know it's a, it's a chemical imbalance when you um hold yeah, that. I mean, that yeah, I, I don't fart in front of. My, I don't fart in my clothes. I will, sir. Fall, yeah, I will fart. I will pass gas in front of my my wife, and my my kids, and my family. Not I, me. I ain't itching in front of her. Uh -huh. like, we not. I'm not gonna. Like, hey, babe, let's have this conversation in the bathroom while I'm pooping. I'm not gonna do that. Wait, real quick, I just want to say this. I want to keep y'all too long. Yo, I've been calling the, 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 the radio since I was a kid. This is my first time ever getting through. That's wild. That's crazy. I'm, this is going to be a good day today. Follow me on the gram. I'm Charlotte, and I'm every Follow me on the gram. All right. All right, man. I will say the beauty of having young kids, because, you know, I got a, I got a, I got a six-year-old and a, a, a soon-to-be three-year-old. Like, if you do accidentally fart, you can always blame it on them. I do that all the time. <laughs> Hello, who's this? <laughs> Hey, what's up, Envy? Uh, this is um, Big Luke from Myrtle Beach. Hey, what's up, brother? Myrtle Beach. We're talking about pooping hey, in front man. of your partner. Uh-huh. I got to say, man, I thought about this, and I got to say, yeah, I, I did find a romantic first time it happened. I thought she was the one, because back in high school, I was that cat that I couldn't poop in front of everybody, so I had to go to the Voltec building. So I felt like if I felt that comfortable around her, she was the one. 
Why would you have to poop in front of everybody, sir? You know, when you go, you know how kids are in high school, all man. I'm sure you got traumatized some. When uh, you go to the regular bathroom and if you poop in high school, everybody comes and opens the door and messes with you and do whatever, you know what I mean? I can honestly say, and this is not a lie, I've never pooped in high school. I never pooped in the bathroom in high school. You held it till you came home? I just never had to in school. I don't know why. My bowels got a lot more regular as I got older. In school, I never, I never, I never pooped in high school. And uh, you have a strong stomach because that pizza and meatloaf surprise had me going, man, after third period. Wait, 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 when'd you come out? Uh, 94. Yeah, you came out in 94? Damn, that's, I came out in 90, well, 98, but I was supposed to be 96, so. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I don't remember pooping in high school. Mm -mm, I never pooped yeah, in high school. Hey, me neither. Mm -mm. I, I also just want to say, man, I love the positivity. You brothers keep it going. I appreciate it. And it keeps me going every day, man. Thank you. I love, right, King. All right, what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is to each his own. You know what I'm saying? I'm just telling you what I don't do. You know what I mean? Kevin Gates, that's what works for him and his queen. You know, me and my queen roll a different way. That's all. But once again, I don't like poop. I don't even like to be in the bathroom with myself when I poop. This is The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy. Charlamagne the guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We got some special guests joining us today. Yes, indeed. We have uh, Cheryl McKizak, Daniel, and Don Peebles. Welcome. Hello. Nice Hello. to be back. You Welcome know, back. Yes, you know, Cheryl is the president and CEO of McKissick and McKissick. McKissick. Yes. And Don is the founder, chairman, and CEO of the Peebles Corporation. Mm -hmm. Let me tell y'all something. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of rappers in this room, mm -hmm. a lot of athletes in this room. Okay. This might be the most money been in this room at one time. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> it's a fact. It's just a fact. Might be the most money that's been in this room at one time. Just want to say that. How are y'all today? We are great. Okay. Glad to be here. Glad that you uh, are having us in to talk about Affirmation Tower. That's right. And I, I know you say y'all wanted to be the most inclusive skyscraper in New York City. What, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, break that down because they came in here bullying me first, but just because I went to Hampton University. <laughs> they came in here bullying, talking all this Howard stuff. But explain what that, that project is about and that inclusive skyscraper. Listen, it was last year when CBRE, a, a large uh, brokerage firm, came to me and they said, Listen, this is up for grabs, and the only person that we think can develop this is Don Peoples. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Don's a friend. He was already looking at this project. And so, you know, if the best and the brightest of this country feel that way, then we certainly know we can do this. And I'm going to let Don explain the project. Well, great. I mean, look, Cheryl and I have been friends since she and her sister were freshmen at Howard. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, Lord. Y'all got some stories. <laughs> and and I was in the real estate, beginning of going to the real estate business, and Cheryl's uh, family has a long history in it, and Cheryl's done an amazing job in building her business here in New York and other parts of the country. And so when the opportunity to come uh, build a building across the street from the Javits Center, uh, one of the major attractions in New York City, I thought, what better place than to build what will be, unfortunately, the first skyscraper in New York City built by black people. Wow. And crazy. And I'm, I'm, crazy. I'm, I'm, it's mind-boggling. 2022. Well, I'm sure black people built some, but it wasn't no black people actually behind it on the financial level. That's exactly yeah. right. That black people worked on it, yeah. but they, and not enough, by the way, because the construction um, industry has been discriminating over the years as well in terms of the high-paying jobs that are generated by them, but that's changing. So I thought that, you know, we ought to build, this building should be built um, by black developers. And so I thought about this as also we want to send a message that we all work together. And so uh, I called Cheryl first and uh, said, look, 
you know, one, I want you and your con- company as a construction company to build this building. Mm-hmm. But also, I want you to be a developer to partner with us in that. So she came in. Craig Livingston, who's been a trailblazer in terms of economic empowerment for black real estate professionals and entrepreneurs, we brought him on um, as a developer as well and put together a team that's 80% black owned. And, uh, and then when we were um, designing it, I thought we want an architect that's going to make a powerful statement. So we picked David Adjay, who I've worked with before, and who was the architect for the Museum for African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., which wow. is the most visited museum in the whole Smithsonian system since the day it opened. And then we committed to 35% minority contracting at a minimum threshold to build that building. And uh, then, you know, when we are designing the building, um, it was going to be super tall. But then I said, why not build the tallest building? Let's build the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. Wow. Built First building to be built by black people in New York City in terms of financially. And let's make it the tallest one in the Western Hemisphere. And so that's what we started doing. How much will this building cost to make and how long will it take? <laughs> $3.6 billion. Okay. Um, Pocket change. Pocket <laughs> change. <laughs> it's some work, but we're going to get it done. And it will be one of the biggest projects built in New York City. And it meets two moments. So right now we're coming out of COVID. So America and New York has got to build back. But we got to do it differently. We got to be inclusive because that's the other moment. I mean, these protests that we've had around the country um, over the last two years, um, especially last year, was about fighting for equal treatment under the law for black people, Mm -hmm. but also for us to have our seat at the table economically. Is is it residential or is it going to be commercial office, two hotels? So starting in the podium, it'll have a cultural center that the NAACP is putting together and then offices for the NAACP. And then last week, Reverend Sharpton and I made an agreement that uh, we're going to bring the Civil Rights Museum there as well. So that'll be on the lower levels of the building. um, And then we'll have some restaurant and other space on the top of what's the podium, the bigger part. And then as we go up the tower, two hotels and then offices. And then up top, three levels of event and venue space, a observation deck. And to put the icing on the cake... We are putting an ice skating ring on top. On top of the building. On top of the building, 1,600 feet up in the air. Everything is intentional, so the name, the affirmation tower, what is the meaning behind the name? We're affirming that we're meeting those two points in time. Mm. Um, When you look at the tower, it looks like it's upside down. Mm. And that's another message. We are turning things upside down. We want to open up this system to people like ours. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, when black people are owners, it creates an ecosystem where we help people all along the line. So how long do you think it's going to take to actually complete this project? It'll take us, a, when we start construction, about three years. Okay. And before that, it'll take about a year and a half of design. So we're about five years out. From this. How difficult was it to get this project? Um, well, I mean, that's another and we're still fighting for it. <laughs> we I mean, fighting. we are fighting for it now. It's very difficult, but I mean, I expect it to be difficult. I mean, but we're knocking down barriers each day. And in reality, Dr. King, you know, Mecca Everts, John Lewis, it was hard for them, too. And we're doing it in other cities. Mm-hmm. We just want a huge project in Boston. Yep. Last week, we got... Uh, Boston. I'm yep. sorry, Boston. That was the hardest fight. With the Republican governor. Yeah, wow. Well, actually, it was easier... <laughs> Really? Because so give you a sense. So I mean, I, I'm a I'm a big I'm a Democrat, lifelong Democrat. But I'm like what Henry Kissinger said about America. He said America has no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, just permanent, permanent interests. Interest. 
black people, we got to have no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, permanent interests. So the governor, Charlie Baker, in Boston decided that he saw the unfairness in the system. So what he did is every project that he's doing in that state, 25 points out of 100 is for equity for people of color. Mm. I always ask this question, and I don't even know if you can have one without the other, but what's more important, economic equity or equality? Oh, wow. That's a really good question, but (laughs) I would say the economics are very important Mm -hmm. because then that's going to help create the equality, in my opinion. Don always says this about venture capitalists and there's $69 trillion of money out there that's been invested, but only 1.3% of it has been invested by black firms. Hmm. Um, So we are so upside down on the economic ladder that we just have to do something about that. If we can have access to economic opportunity, we can solve our own problems. Mm -hmm. We can deal with our own communities. But you keep blocking us from economic opportunity, then we're going to continue to struggle. So we can do it for ourselves, then we can expand our community and take care of our own issues. And we can support our own organizations. And they need to stop looking at us. I said this yesterday to a group of white business people. You all need to stop looking at doing business with black people as philanthropic. It's good business for you. That's That's right. right. All right. When we come back, we have more with Cheryl McKissick, Daniel, and Don Peebles. So don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Charlamagne Tha Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Cheryl McKissick, Daniel, and Don Peebles. We got to go back to the origin story. Because when I hear, you know, y'all knew each other as freshmen at Howard University, that's like some outliers, divine alignment type stuff. Like, did y'all both know that's what y'all wanted to do in the future? I mean, are you, of course, well, your family when, I, when I met Don, Don had bought his first apartment in D.C. As and a freshman I said, at Howard? Well, I was a freshman. You were a freshman, and I was, was uh, two years, I think I'm two years older than right. you. Right. So he was in college, and he had bought an apartment. And I remember my twin sister and I saying to each other, well, who does that? That's who what buys I apartments know. when you're in college? Yeah. And Don said then, he said, I'm going to do transformational development. My sister and I, we always knew we were going to be in the family business. I mean, we're fifth generation. We always knew that. But then over the years, Don was in D.C., Philadelphia, and we kept saying we're going to work together. At some point, we are definitely going to work together, but it just has to be the right right project. project. So, you know, McKissick is fifth generation. Is people's first generation? First generation. Yeah. Wow. Where you get the money to buy the apartment done? You don't want to tell well, us. I, it was I, I, start, wait, just, wait, I, start, yourself. I started working. I quit college um, after my freshman year and started working in real estate. And, mm-hmm. I, and frankly, I mean, it was a black government. It was a black mayor. And they were focused on economic empowerment for black people. So mm-hmm. I felt it was a good place to start doing business. And so I got exposed to real estate because my mother was a real estate sales agent and a broker. And so I learned from her. And I started my own company when I was 23. And uh, built my first building when I was 26. But I couldn't have done it anywhere else. D.C. at that time was a mecca for black economic empowerment. It was Atlanta and D.C. Marion Barry. Yeah. 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 And Marion Barry, for all his faults, uh, you know, he was, you know, He just liked to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, at his memorial service, Minister Farrakhan mentioned that 
about his history of everything that you know he was being criticized for having a drug abuse problem and he said who are you talking about John Kennedy because it wasn't just right. so, <laughs> so yeah so I mean Barry was transformative and the government at that time was and they knocked down opportunities uh, barriers to opportunities for black business people um, Bob Johnson got a start in D.C. Um, I got mine many other black business people did but I met Cheryl and her sister they were um, freshmen in college, and her cousin was a good friend of mine. And so we became friends, and uh, we both had kind of common interests. They were going into the family business. I was building mine. And uh, and so my son's in our business now. He's 27, and my daughter's 19 and at TCU, and I'm hopeful that she will go into the business as well, and we can build some legacy. But part of the legacy I want to build is demonstrating how we can work together because I may not be able to do a $3.6 billion building by myself. Cheryl may not be able to, Craig, but collectively we can. Mm -hmm. But Don, you didn't need us. I mean, financially, (laughs) but I needed you all in every other way. Mm -hmm. Um, And you all bring tremendous um, resources to the table. I know people are watching this man, and they want so good, man. Hold on, I got some more questions. No, I'm, not, I'm, not saying, I'm just saying this just feels so good, man. I, I know Goodness people gracious. are watching this and they they want to know how though. Like it's you know it's easy to say I bought my first building, but but how? Where did the capital come from? Like where do, where does one start? Well, I think the first thing is that with a dream. I mean, developers are dreamers. Um, we're visionaries, and so with a dream and with a plan and becoming a student of the business and I mean be you can be self-taught read some books learn about the business it's not a complicated business by the way supply and demand so understanding the business having a dream and having a dream to be achievable but you know pushing and then um, finding an idea once you find an idea then you can raise money for it now um, what Cheryl touched on if you're black don't expect it to be easy um, the Federal Reserve did a study last year there's 69 trillion dollars invested in private equity and venture capital and that's normally go that's where real estate developers get equity for their project from private equity but there's 69 trillion dollars invested in uh, private equity in the United States and out of that 1.3 percent of it goes to businesses owned or founded or projects or worked on by blacks or women combined so white men get 98.7 percent of all venture capital and private equity money so the challenge is equity but if you can, you can raise the money, friends and family and so on, and then build your building or buy a property and renovate it. And then do what I did is I rolled all my money back in. So the first project that we did was $10 million. Back you didn't in start there. Didn't, you started with a, 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 with a an single, apartment. A, a apartment, a single <laughs> yeah, house. Right. And I think that's the question. Like you started yeah. from a right. apartment. Yeah, but, that, a, right. but then after that. that I started a consulting and appraisal business, and that's how I earned a living and began to accumulate some money to save. Mm-hmm. And then with that money, I found an opportunity to build an office building. But if you have a dream and you're willing to do some work, you can make money in the real estate business. You know, we talk about the, the, the racial you know, wealth gap in America a lot. You think that actually can be closed in this generation? I don't think it can be closed. I think we can make some progress, but we won't do it the way it is right now. And one of your former guests is a man I've known a long time and currently president. And I remember his comment about if you could make up your mind between him and Trump, you're not black. Well, I mean, again, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, permanent interests. But he would be at uh, right now in the Delaware um, waterfront on the porch of his house. Um, If it wasn't for black people, people. (laughs) it's time to pay up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, pay up. 
in other ways by giving us access to economic opportunity. And that's when we close the wealth gap. Mm -hmm. A place like Boston, according to the Federal Reserve, the average household net worth of a white family in Boston is $247,000. The average household net worth of a black family is $8. $8. That is an insurmountable wealth disparity without affirmative, aggressive effort. $8? (laughs) $8. $8 to $247,000. And so you can't solve that by taking baby steps. Frankly, we can't let these liberal Democrats continue to try to make us comfortable being poor. So we're going to have to demand aggressive steps economically. Not window dressing, not hiring a few black people here and there. And by the way, the other thing, when black people get in a position of power, they got to help each other. Absolutely. We cannot get into these positions and sit in them and then just kind of keep the status quo. So then they can say, see there, we got a black person in here. So we're not racist. We're not doing anything (laughs) because we can't find any qualified black people. Mm -hmm. Because if we could, the brother over here or the sister over here would be doing it. And they're not. And that's one of the reasons why my company has focused on this issue. And I I would dare to say that I am the most outspoken advocate for equal opportunity and fair treatment for black people in business and finance. And that and also that we got to do it aggressively. We cannot just sit back here anymore. What do you what do you what does reparations look like? Yeah, I think that what's realistic for us is that the entire system of how our government does business changes and is reflective of population demographics. So if you're in a city that's 50% black, 50% of the government contracts go to black businesses. If you're a business like, you know, Goldman Sachs or whatever, and you are taking institutional capital as an investment advisor, then you've got to deploy that reflective of the population demographics. So if you're running a national business, Black people are 13% of the population. 13% of the loans have to be made to black businesses and black people on the same terms that you make them to the white firms. So if we could do that, just a fairness, I mean, we would make great progress. But what has happened here is that the impediments to our uh, to us having fair opportunity are compounded by these obstacles and these injustices economically. Oh, Brother Don, I can't buy no building with fairness. I need some capital. Right. You know what I mean? So don't you feel like America owes us something tangible? Yes. Like Sounds some, good to me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think America owes us something tangible yes. by giving us capital. Look, I think there should be some place where there's like a pool of capital that goes to black people. Mm-hmm. And the sort black of like people, the PPP right. loans. Yeah. But not loans. There should be. No, and, and if you, and if you execute. <laughs> right. yes. No. And if you execute, then you don't pay it back. Exactly. Right. But I think we also have to say, okay, what about property? That has to be adjusted. The repar- cash, cash reparations or returning of property needs to take place. All right, when we come back, we have more with Cheryl McKissick, Daniel, and Don Peebles. So don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. We're welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Teledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the coaches surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give us his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will be bringing his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoop takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. 
So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Teledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Charlamagne the Guy, we are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Cheryl McKissick, Daniel, and Don Peebles. Charlamagne? How difficult is it navigating the construction industry and the real estate industry as a black person? It's hard knocks. It has been. Well, a black woman. I mean, that's even harder, right? even harder. Yeah, I mean, Don talked about black females starting the, the most businesses. However, we're still only 2% of the businesses in New York City. And so how was I able to build a business in New York? It was really pushing prime opportunities, not where I was a sub consultant, you know, working under the umbrella of a large firm. No, I had to be the lead person, whether that was a $2 million project that turned into a $5 million project or $10 million project. But that was all a fight Mm -hmm. because there are no laws out there for that. You know, you have to create relationships and, you know, convince people to wow. give you this shot. And that's coming from a fifth generation company. So I can imagine. Oh, yeah. 230 yeah. years. Wow. And we're still having to prove who we are and still not getting the access that we should get. 
politically, do you know, do these politicians come to y'all, of course, to make donations and stuff? And, and if so, does that give y'all some type of power when it comes to them? Are y'all able to? Up. Yeah, you get are y'all able to demand things from yeah. them? And, so I've been involved in politics my entire career. I was on Obama's uh, National Finance Committee for both of his elections, Bill Clinton's as well. Wow. What I learned over the years is that you can have some access to some people, but even there, we get discriminated against. We're big supporters of many different politicians, but they will be willing to jump over backwards to help a white business person who is, you know, at a high level. And but when it comes to us, they'll decide when they're going to treat us fairly and mm -hmm. when they're not mm -hmm. and that the money's not as impactful. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a subtlety. And I don't know if I'm explaining it right. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is that our money yeah. isn't as good as the other people's money when it comes to many politicians. Even if you have the same amount of money, even oh, yeah. if, you're, even if yeah. financially y'all on equal footing. Yep. Tell us so, there's right. a wall between policy and making decisions as a government leader wow. and uh, your money. And I and yeah. so what I've done and, that, and so that so fundraising and contributing money is kind of the carrot. So I said, okay, the carrot doesn't work. I'll use a stick. So a couple of <laughs> times that these people have crossed me and treated me unfairly, I form a political action committee and I run an independent campaign against them. Ooh. And because okay. I figure if I got some money, I need to use it at least to level the playing field for for what I'm trying to do. That's right. And so I'm not going to take it on the chin. And that's the other thing is that they think that they can screw us over and get away with it. So I try to send a message. You no, know, there's some, re some repercussions if you treat us unfairly. You think we do ourselves a disservice by always voting Democrat, always being with one party, being so loyal to one party? Yes, I think so. I think we need to vote what policies are important to us. Mm -hmm. And get them to agree to some concrete things. So I chaired the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation Board, which is the think tank for the 50 some odd black members of Congress and does that legislative weekend in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. So I chaired that last three years of Obama's um, administration and then going into Trump's first year. And I told the caucus members when Trump came in, I know him and he's transactional. Go meet with him with a list of things for black people because you all weren't elected to be Democrats. You were elected to advocate for black people, your constituents. Mm -hmm. So go with a list of what your constituents want and tell him you want this and ask him what does he want and see if there's a deal to be made. But you can't put the black agenda on hold for a four to eight years because right. you don't like the guy in the office. You got to play a <laughs> game right. of power. You got to constantly fight because our agenda can't wait. So we should do business with whoever we have to to get our program going forward. And then we can vote again later. The Democratic Party takes us for granted. That's right. Mm -hmm. And they have for a very long time. And frankly, we should be on the front steps of the White House telling Joe Biden, this isn't enough. It's great that you appointed a qualified woman to the Supreme Court, a black woman. All right. But here's what we need. Yeah, and he owes the majority, 6-3 right. 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 in the Supreme Court. <laughs> right. Expand the Supreme Court and add four Jacksons yeah. if you want to. If you want to really right. make an impact. Yeah. But also, he's responsible for the 1994 crime. Bill. That's right. And I tell him to his face. He's responsible for it. He's cleaned it up. And he has not addressed that yet. Mm -hmm. And he spoke passionately. And he was the floor leader in the Senate for Bill Clinton for the 1994 crime bill that led to the mass incarceration of black men and women. 
mm-hmm. and and these mandatory sentences that destroyed lives. So he's got to clean that up. And he's got to clean that up, not just with criminal justice reform, because that's only going to deal with what's going forward. But secondly, he's got to make right what he's done to our community and our people since 1994. Before the 90s. Yeah. Because, you know, the mandatory minimum sentence in the crack laws, that was the 80s. 80s, you're right. Yeah. yeah. When, I, when I said that to him, I said, um, you know, it led to mass incarceration. He said, no, it didn't. It was the mandatory minimum in the 80s. I said, well, you wrote that too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote that Who was easy to do business with? Is it Biden or was it Trump to do business with? I think Trump would would be easier to do business with because there's no competing interest and he's a decisive person. I think that the Democratic presidents have tried to make this rainbow constituency happy. So same thing about reparations and, a fr- and, and minority contracting. Mm-hmm. This country owes two classes of people a great debt. It owes Native Americans a great debt. And then it owes black people a debt. And it's time to pay that. And Biden could do that. Um, frankly, I was disappointed because I thought that um, President Obama should have done it. But Trump is transactional. Mm-hmm. So you can do business with him today and be against him tomorrow. He's going to understand that because he's wired that way. So we have to be focused on getting business done. And to this point in time, I can't think about what the president of the United States has done for black people. And he's been in office for a year. So how long do we have to wait for the man that we single-handedly put into office? Right. I agree. Mm -hmm. And our agenda is always last, isn't it? Oh, yes. If at yes. all. Yep. Yes. Great conversation. Man, man, Sister Cheryl, Brother Don, I feel like I went to church and class. <laughs> we did. We did. Cheryl McKissack, Daniel, Don Peebles. I mean, that was class. Man. That was, class. That was a course. So what's the call to action? Well, Greg Cardone would have charged us 5000 for that one. But yeah. We need everyone to talk about Affirmation Tower. Okay. We need this to be a movement because this is going to change how we position ourselves. It's changing a paradigm for black people, not only in New York, but in our nation. And that's the call to action. They need to call the governor's office of New York mm-hmm. and say that they support it. They need to call their uh, their New York City resident or New York State resident. They need to call their elected officials and say that they support this project and they support what it stands for, which is economic opportunity for black businesses. Mm-hmm. And going forward, we got to hold anybody running for office that wants our support what are you going to do for us economically? That's right. What are you going, how are you going to write this scales of injustice that we are dealing with? And that's the call to action. Economic empowerment for our people will lead us to a much better place. Because we can, what did James Brown say? I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open the door, I'll get it myself. That's right. Right? Well, that's what we want. Open the doors of opportunity. Let us do our thing. We right. have shown. I want both, Don. I want right. to open the door and I want something to be sitting on the table when I walk in. I agree with you. And it should be. By the way, our, our ancestors paid for it and we got nothing for it. Right. They got nothing for it but extreme oppression. And so this country owes us a debt. The White House that Biden is sleeping in was built by slaves. That's right. That's it. Well, we appreciate you guys Ooh. for joining us. Thank you so much. Man. And please, anytime y'all want to pull up, pull, pull up. up. All right. Okay. Yeah. We will. Absolutely. Okay. We will. Absolutely. Right. It's the Thank Breakfast you. Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Your mornings will never be the same. When it's time to get with someone special, the best way to do it is with Magnum Large Size Condoms. That gold foil wrapper is a badge of honor and it means you're protected. And you take care of things with comfort. Accept no substitutes. Bring the pleasure with the gold standard. Magnum Large Size Condoms. Donkey of the day, yeah, you dumb ass. You get donkey of the day, yeah, you dumb ass.
You are a donkey. It's time for Donkey of the Day. Donkey of the Day, huh? I'm going to fatten all that shit around your eyes. Yeah, they want this man to throw them blows, man. They waiting for Charlemagne to tap these gloves. Let's go. They had to make a judgment of who was going to be on the Donkey of the Day. They chose you. It's a breakfast club, bitches. Who's Donkey of the Day today? Well, Donkey of the Day goes to a hiker in Colorado who got lost on a mountain for 24 hours. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why, oh, why would Uncle Charla, Brother Lenard, give a man who got lost for 24 hours hiking donkey of the day? Well, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because on one hand, I feel him. On the other hand, I'm like, I don't think he wanted to be saved. Let me explain. See, this man was reported missing after he didn't return from an expedition on October 18th on Mount Elbert. Mount Elbert is the highest peak in the state of Colorado. Now, he was lost, clearly. But sometimes folks be lost to us. But to them, they just outside. All right? This kind of feels like one of those situations, even though it's not. I know y'all think I sound like Rafiki and the Lion King right now, but listen to me. Pay attention. Follow this because it will all make sense in one second. Now, if people think you're lost, the first thing I would assume to do is call your phone, right? That's what they tried to do to this hiker. And this is where it gets tricky for me because trust me when I tell you, I feel how this hiker be feeling. Let's go to KGTV, ABC 10 for the report, please. We're looking into a story that seems hard to believe. It claims a lost hiker ignored calls from a rescue cruise because he didn't recognize the phone number. And it's actually true. The hiker was reported missing last week after he failed to return from a trek on Mount Elpert in Colorado. And the Lake County search and rescue team says they repeatedly tried calling the hiker's cell phone. But the man never answered because he didn't recognize the number. The hiker did safely return to his place of lodging 24 hours later with no idea that anyone had been looking for him. Raise your hand if you don't uh, answer unrecognized phone numbers, okay? If I you don't. If you're driving, blow the horn, all right? I just assume that an unrecognized phone number is a bill collector, all right? And you're going to a voicemail that I will never check. Now, I have to ask another question. How lost are you really if you don't answer the phone when people are looking for you simply because you don't recognize the phone number? I feel them. Okay, I don't answer the phone for numbers I don't know. In fact, too many numbers I don't know. Calling me is one of the main reasons I changed my phone number. But here's the thing. I don't know if this hiker necessarily deserves donkey of the day. Sounds like the people who were looking for him deserve donkey of the day because they're trying to save a person that didn't need saving. Maybe. Number one, he didn't answer a number he didn't know. Therefore, he clearly wasn't stressing. He clearly didn't think he was in danger. Okay, number two. Did you hear the end of the news report? Can we play that? just the end of the news report? Is there a way to do that? The hiker spent the night searching for the trail and bouncing between different trails to find the Oh, no, that's the not what I want. That's not, that wasn't it. At the end of it, at the end of it, they said he made his way back to his lodging, all right? If this guy was really lost, I can't tell. But if he really was lost, round of applause for his focus. Give this man some applause, Red, okay? I mean, if I'm lost trying to figure my way back, I don't want to talk to anyone on the phone either. You ever have your GPS going? driving but somebody called you and interrupts the gps while you're driving and talking and you missing what the gps is telling you because this person wants to talk on the phone what's your chat about okay i miss me exit all right that's how this man's brain was working in this moment he couldn't be bothered he was too busy bouncing from trail to trail trying to figure things out now let's go to this news report from sacb.com let me hear this one the hiker spent the night searching for the trail and bouncing between different trails to find okay. a trailhead where they had parked Rescuer said, I don't know if he was lost. 
I really don't. I really don't know if this man was truly lost. But if he was, like the media is reporting, I need to know his reasoning for not answering his phone because I need that kind of discipline in my life. Can somebody go interview this man? Please have a conversation. I need to be able to ignore my phone and other distractions under duress are not just like you know this individual was i was always taught uh desperate people do desperate things and you know answering unrecognized phone numbers is an act of desperation so clearly there was nothing desperate about this man because he didn't feel the need to answer his phone while he was so-called lost in the mountains i am lost in the woods there is a prophet okay a beacon of light named project pat who once said don't save her she don't want to be saved. I think this applies to this hiker. All right. Don't save this man. He didn't want to be saved. As stupid as we want to call this man. If you got to let a hoe be a hoe, you got to let a hiker be a hiker. But we can still give him the credit he deserves for being, I guess, what we would call stupid. Sometimes people just don't want to be bothered. But give this hiker the biggest hee-haw anyway. Just in case he was really lost. All right. All you got to do is pick up the phone and not say anything. Pick up the phone, baby. Pick up the phone. And don't say be quiet. But then, but no, that would be if, if if people think you're lost, right? And they call your phone, and somebody picks up the phone and don't say nothing. Now they really gonna be distraught. Now they gonna really want the law enforcement and everybody. Involved. Oh, you pick up the phone and you go hello. That's even worse. Now and they then gonna they say ask so- for you and you're like, she's not available. Now it was like a strange phone, <laughs> so a strange what? voice <laughs> picked up my phone. <laughs> a strange that? voice picked up his phone. I really think he's in trouble Wrong now. Wrong number. Oh yeah, yeah. You yeah. <laughs> would have the whole feds after her. Everybody would be looking for that person after that. You want to make sure it's not a bill collector. All right, well, thank you for that donkey today. Mm-hmm. This club, good morning. <laughs> the Breakfast Club. Like, nobody has seen what I was doing, mm-hmm. you know? But for me, it was kind of like a natural reaction to what was going on, you know what I'm saying? Circa 2010, 2011, you know, a lot of stuff on the radio. It was like Young Money dominant. Then they started going West Coast with it, you know what I'm saying? And um, I just felt the need that New York needed something that like represented it again, and yeah, now it's just kind of part of my DNA. Part you of hated my New identity. York radio that time. I know that. Uh, well, you know, I was a kid. I hated everything. <laughs> <laughs> I hated literally everything. I didn't want to talk to nobody. I didn't want to see nobody. I had no type of gauge on really what was going on and to the magnitude of how it was going. Why, why did it take so long? Why? Why ten years between projects? Oh, no, nah, it wasn't 10 years it's between projects. It was five, five years. I thought 99, still, when 99 came out. Well, 99 was 10 years. 10 years. Ten years. What was, was, what was five years, years ago? All American. All American. Yeah, yeah, All American Bad. Yeah, right. yeah. All right. But five years is a long time, too, yeah. in this business. Why five years? Man, it wasn't no specific reason. Like, I, it wasn't like I finished my last album. Like, yeah, I'm going to take five years off. Mm-hmm. Nah, it just, it just happened that way, man. You know, I was experimenting, trying to find a new direction, trying to figure out which way I wanted to go. In addition, I had my first kid, you know, Congrats. my daughter, she's four years old now. Mm-hmm. Started doing a lot of TV and film stuff, started taking off. So it was just really getting used to a new balance. And then the pandemic set me back. Like I had a project, but then when the pandemic started, I got connected with myself in a different way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, it became a whole different thing, you know. So it was just it's kind of the way it lined up. But I'll tell you this, like I ain't never planning on going away for that long again. I was going to ask you, how did you get into acting for people that don't know? 
I was a theater student mm-hmm. in high school. I went to Edward R. Murrow. I had like audition for a bunch of different drama theater programs because when I was coming up, when I when it was time for me to go to high school, like I always was into music. Mm-hmm. But at the time, there was no programs to go to to like work on my rap skills or to be mm-hmm. a rapper. So my next like best thing to me was film. They kicked me out after my sophomore year, though. For what? <laughs> my attendance was just oh. poor. You know? mm-hmm. I was like one out of three black kids. And the great thing about that is, I was one out of three black kids. It was me and the homie Sadiq, who played Ghostface on Wu-Tang. Wow. Mm. So it was dope. You know what I'm saying? The connecting CS, back with him. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Connecting back with him, the whole full circle joint. Did you ever think you would lose your rap identity as Joey Badass playing Inspector Deck? Um, no, nah, I didn't think I was going to lose my rap identity, but that is a good question because I was always reluctant about playing roles that were too close to who I am in real life. Mm-hmm. But when I got off of that, you know, it's Wu-Tang. Like, that's a big honor. And then RZA has been one of my mentors in this game for a long time. So I definitely wanted to come through for him. Like, I felt he's come through for me a lot of the time. But, you know, then I got power and then I got on Viv, though, for Wu-Tang. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the Jay-Z connection, because you referenced that a couple of times on the album, on Make You Feel, and I might be paraphrasing here, but you say peep game like Jay, that's that's why he like didn't sign me? That's why he didn't sign us, keep the game at bay like the 49ers. Jay's like an idol. I read his book, Decoded, and that line was inspired by Peace in Dakota when he said he met with Russell Simmons for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he, he details the experience as him like remembering sitting at that table and looking at them. And thinking to himself, like, damn, like, I don't want to be signing these I want to be these You remember your first conversation with Jay? Your first sit-down with him? Yeah. Hell yeah. I was 17 years old. I was in Denver. He flew me back out to New York to meet with him. And, (laughs) you know, I was a funny little So I walked in, and I'm like, yes. Like, whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) It was a dope experience, man, because at 17 years old, I felt so limitless. It was probably like when I was 15 or 16, like I visualized in my mind, like I want to be signed to Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. So when I was going up in that Rock Nation building like a year or two later, I'm like, damn, I could do anything. Mm-hmm. I'm already in alignment with my idol. Mm-hmm. Anything is possible. Did he tell you why he didn't sign y'all? It's funny, like I always see him now and I be wanting to have that conversation. But the time, I feel like the time never permits like where we at. But I, I be wanting to ask him that. I was so young at the time, and to me, there was no reason to not sign a Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was other factors involved and shit like that, so I'm not really sure what exactly happened. Because based off the album, it seems like y'all used to be up there a lot, like skateboarding in front of the, the building. Well, uh, yeah, they showed us a lot of love. Okay. You know what I'm saying? They show, to this day, you know, he, he looks out for me, shows me a lot of love. So it's just always been... um more like three degrees of separation. You gotcha. know what I'm saying? And I, I like what you said about this being a reintroduction to Joey Badass because you do tell so much about yourself. You talk about your uh, cousin Richie Rich writing your, writing your first rap. Yeah. What, what kind of battery did that put in your back? He just like really gave me structure. You know what I'm saying? Like he taught me how to count balls and all that. And then, you know, I had other older cousins who used to rap and shit like that. For a long time, it was a running joke because when I was a kid, I used to always tell him, yo, y'all, y'all need to bring me to the studio. Boom, boom, boom. And then my shit blew up, and I was like, ah, yeah, because they bring me to the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember writing your first rap? Nah, nah, but it must have been in like first grade, because mm-hmm. that's when I was introduced to poetry, and I identified it as like, I was like, oh, this is that Biggie doing. Mm-hmm. That's like what my brain said, you know what I mean? And then from there, I got into poetry, but I would always do like rap. 
freestyle poems. But um, I remember the first time I spit that verse that my cousin wrote for me, for my mom's. I was like nine years old. Mm -hmm. And was something like, my name is Little J and I got the nine. You mess with me and I blow off your mind. They hating cause I be on my grind and I always shine. Why you acting like you sell Glocks? Before I put a pipe bomb in your mailbox. Mm -hmm. Some shit like that, right? I'm she nine years old. Your ass I don't even know what the you f I'm really talking you about up. for real. I, nah, she even snatched me up. She was like, do you know what a nine is? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, I'm, to me, I'm like, I'm nine, so it just sounded like <laughs> <laughs> nine years old, you feel me? I'm like, nah. She was like, it's a gun. First of all, I was like, word. <laughs> and then she gave me the realest advice. She was like, yo, look, if you want to do this, you could do that. But you just got to be true to yourself. And from there, I just kind of took that and ran with it. She didn't say nothing about the pipe bomb? Nah, she didn't say nothing about that. <laughs> about the I think she kind of figured out that it wasn't my words. Word, you know gotcha. what I'm saying? Somebody else was involved in that. All right, we got more with Joey Badass. When we come back, don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. We're welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Teledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the coaches surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall, will give us his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will be bringing his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoop takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Teledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy. Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Joey Badass. Charlemagne? No, uh, I love written in the stars, too. You mentioned your daughter earlier. You said your daughter was your wake-up call. What did, what did that wake-up call look like to you? Yeah, you know, I felt so obligated in earlier years in my career to take care of people to the point where a lot of the times it burned me out, feeling like guilt, survivor's guilt and mm. things of that nature. But, you know, when my baby girl came, it was like, oh, okay, this is really the only person I'm responsible for. You know what I'm saying? And now that she's here, it's different. Like, if you can't respect that, then, you know, we can't even be cool no more. How's your life changed? How do you move differently now that you have a girl? Well, yeah, you know, definitely more focus, definitely more intention in everything that I do, especially when it comes to, you know, spending. And, um, you know, I, I say it made me more patient. It made me more gentle. It made me more um willing to learn and listen. How did it change your overall perspective of women? Definitely, like, you know, from time to time, I would have the thought, like, I wouldn't want my daughter to, you know what I'm saying, being in a situation mm -hmm. like that. So it definitely kind of gives you a heightened state of awareness when it comes to that interaction. But, I mean, I've always been a super respectful man anyway. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, with my baby girl in my life, it definitely kind of shapes my mind in a way. Like, let me try to be more like the version of the man that I would want my baby girl to grow up mm -hmm. and, you know, be mm -hmm. with deal with do you ever look at it like i was this way as a man and now i gotta change because i don't want my daughter to like that as a man yes and no because you know life is about growth you know nobody's gonna come straight off of the tree like boom perfect. That's right. like nah you got experience and you know i want i don't want none of that to be hidden from my child like i don't want her to ever view life as a thing where you could skip steps and still get by you know we all got we all got all types of childhood traumas that we couldn't even run from if we tried to that's like, right these are the things that affect us and you know what i'm saying ultimately shape who we are you know what i mean but as long as you know you got that growth mindset or as long as whoever she's with got that growth mindset then i got some patience you know i got some sympathy now in the baddest first of all you and you and diddy seem like y'all have a strong relationship absolutely how you and D diddy get so cool and so close man i met diddy 2016 coming out the rihanna met gala after party mm -hmm. and one note he was walking out i was walking in and he was just like yo king i've been trying to connect with you for years like i was trying to sign you back in the day and i'm like this is all news to me you know what i mean it's the first time meeting him. i'm like wow word boom 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 and then that same week, I had Rolling Loud in Miami, and then I ran into him again. And then from there, it was just like, we were just road dogs, you know what I'm saying? Like, he would be going somewhere, yo, Joey, I'm being New York, but we pull up. And we just kind of developed that relationship like that, and it's like, I'm the super- EP, Two Distant Strangers, too. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. of me, you yeah. know what I mean? I got him on that project. I got him involved. I made a phone call. I'm super grateful for that relationship because me, I'm a sponge. So it's like you bring me around to the right rooms and tables. Like I ain't taking that for granted. I'm connected. I'm networking. I'm, you know, what I'm saying I'm I'm using 
the opportunity fruitfully, you know what I mean, as it should be. So mm-hmm. the fact that he could identify that in me, I'm very appreciative of that. You know, he did the intro and the outro. On the outro, he said something to the effect of, um, we got to bring that New York feeling back. Yeah. Are those conversations that y'all have? And do you think that you can actually bring New York back if you live in some place like Miami or L.A.? <laughs> Don't you got to be here? Yeah, I think you got to be here for sure because you got to connect with the pulse of the city. You know, um, what was the question? The, qu- the question was, uh, do y'all have those conversations about bringing the feeling back? Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Me and Puff, we've spoken about that over the years. Like, you know, I'll play him some songs. He's like, yeah, like, this is the vibe. Or, this ain't the vibe. Or you should do this. You should go more here, you know. But that's usually the focus of the conversation, you know what I'm saying? We always trying to stay in that essence. He, he still got an ear? 50 said Diddy don't got no ear no more. 50 said Diddy ain't got yeah, no ear no more? Said nah, last that's, a yeah. that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie, nah. Puff, I feel like he always gonna have it, yeah. Now, um, you can tell that you really been doing the work on yourself mentally too. You know what I mean? Like you, you go to therapy, uh or... I do. Okay. I do go to therapy. Um I started going to therapy back in twenty twenty. You know, as unfortunate as that pandemic was for a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? Like I definitely don't wanna be insensitive when I say this. But for me I needed that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know stillness in my adult life. Like, I hit the ground running at 17 years old. I was still a kid. I didn't realize for about five, six years I didn't stop. You know what I mean? So when I finally got that space in that time, it was like I just went real deep inside. You know what I mean? And I realized things that I needed. I was like, okay, I need therapy. You know what I mean? Like, I need to be held accountable for my shortcomings. I need those to be pointed out to me because I'm what you call a self-improvement junkie. Like, I'm committed and devoted to being a better version of myself every time I show up. You can see the evolution in all the Breakfast Club interviews. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. this is our third one. Mm-hmm, yeah. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So I pride myself on that. You know, so therapy was definitely an outlet that I saw to bring me closer to a higher self-awareness and just state of being. What introduced you to it? How did you decide to do it? What was that decision like? Well, you know, I've always been open-minded and... I started to resonate with that idea that black people, therapy being so taboo to us. What it was is I was introduced to the concept of emotional intelligence. Wow. And that kind of blew my mind. That opened so many doors for me because I'm like, wow, like we really wasn't taught this. How important it is to identify your own emotions in relation to the people around you. You know what I'm saying? Like we might just wake up in a bad mood and you wearing that mood. Mm-hmm. And now your household is feeling that mood Facts, yeah. And you don't even realize You just passed that mood on to your son mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. your son is in school With that mood mm-hmm. And he passing that on to You know what I'm His saying Like energy is, yeah. energy is so contagious And once I kind of like realized that It started to open little pathways in my brain Like damn Even identifying with frustration as an emotion mm-hmm. If you tell a black man Yo you being emotional that's like offensive. Right. But people don't realize that, yo, if you angry, if, if we having a conversation and you just screaming because you mad, you're in your emotion. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? People get emotionally hijacked every day, B. That's right. Mm-hmm. Every day, like blinded by emotion, blinded by rage. So I just kind of started on that path for understanding myself more because I grew up, I had like anger issues and stuff like that. It was hard to me to identify a lot of things that I was feeling. Did you figure out where that anger came from? Now that I think about it Looking in hindsight I think a lot of it came from When my parents split Me not knowing how to process that And then manifesting into something else Like me trying to find a reason for it Elsewhere You know what I mean 
I came to that same realization in therapy. Like I didn't realize how much my parents divorcing had impacted me Word. and how and how angry I was at my pops for that. Word up. That the do something to you, especially mm -hmm. as a black man. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because now you got that separation from your father, and it's like you need your father Word as up. a black man, especially in this world. Did you ever have that conversation with your pops? Because you know, one of the best things that helped me was having a conversation with my pops and realizing that he was going to therapy two and three times a week back in the day. He tried to kill himself back in the day. He mm -hmm. was on ten to twelve different medications. It made me give him more grace because I realized, damn, he was somebody before he was my parent. Right. And you know, he was just. Doing the best he could with right. what he had. Yeah, you know, I have to, I have great conversations with my dad all of the time. And it's like, I have my own interpretations of it because my understanding and his understanding is definitely different. And it's like a generational difference. Mm -hmm. And I came to kind of grow and accept that because what fulfills me, what I appreciate, what I'm grateful for is that I could hear my old man's wisdom. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's like, it's up to me to interpret that however I see fit mm -hmm. but just being able to hear that like you know i might feel a little bit more spiritually advanced than my dad but i could never be more experienced than him mm -hmm. you know what yeah. i'm saying and that alone just make me so grateful for any time we connect you know what i'm saying because i feel like it's a meeting of the minds and you can learn from anybody all right we got more with joey badass when we come back don't move it's the breakfast club good morning the breakfast club Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Charlemagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Joey Badass. Charlemagne? Do you really meditate every day? You say that on the album. You say you meditate every day. Nah, it's hard to meditate every day. Like, you know, that's more of like a manifestation. Word. I would like to meditate every day. At a point, I was, you know, in the pandemic, mm -hmm. for sure. But one thing I try to do is pray every day because I feel like it's a form of, you know, meditation or just a form of um, being able to, like, program you're thinking in the right way. What did you see about it? Because I always say, you know, the pandemic, like you said earlier, it made all of us be still for the first time. A lot of us had to, like, really be still for the first time and deal with ourselves. Couldn't run from our traumas or nothing. What did you see that made you be like, oh, nah, I got to go do some work on myself? I saw how much I was settling for the short end of the stick. Like, you know, I spent a lot of the, the like, the first half of my career really focused and obliged to taking care of other people and in that, I put a lot of people before myself. Mm -hmm. So in the pandemic, it kind of put things in perspective to me. It's like, damn, I got, I did this one for that one, that one for this one. But what the f do I have to show for myself? Mm -hmm. And then that was a whole reset because then I came out the pandemic selfish, but in the best way possible because mm -hmm. I've never been that person. This shit is evident too. Like, I'm glad you noticed that. You said, yo, you look healthy. Like, mm -hmm. this is what I look like when I'm focused on myself. Did the pandemic finally give you the opportunity to grieve Steve the right way? It definitely gave me opportunities, but um, I don't I don't know. Does, does, does grieving, is it, is it a complete process? Does it get... I, I don't know if it's a complete process, but I was going to say, when I listen to Survivor's Guild, I feel like you have finally started processing, yes. you know, uh, yes. his, his, his death. This is the first year where I definitely feel a little bit of peace. You know what I mean? And it's, it's 10 years later. But just with Steezes, I'm still... Majorly grieving my cousin Junior death. Junior, you know? yeah, yeah. How are you processing it? Like, you know, did it make you look at? Because I had a friend commit suicide in 2020, and when she did that, it made me look at suicide differently. It definitely brought me to a very dark place. And you know, me, I'm very intuitive. So something inside me told me because I remember coming from the funeral when me and CJ was on the way back, like to the crib, 
And I remember telling him, like, yo, bro, we got to be strong for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Because it's easy to fall right now. And I got pulled into that. Even mm -hmm. after saying it. Even after having that awareness and that understanding that I couldn't go there, I still got sucked into that. You know what I mean? It, it brought me out of a very low, low place. I was depressed. Like, I felt so many ways. I'm like, damn, like, 17 years old, like... I know so many people who's so much older than me and they've never lost somebody this close to them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was just, it was a lot of unsettling emotions and feelings and at the same time dealing with fame mm -hmm. for the first time, dealing with, you know what I'm saying? Like the ills of that. It was bug. It That's was natural bug. though. I'm sure your therapist told you that you got to allow yourself to feel your feels. Like, yeah, all you those know, feelings are natural. And that's what I realized too. Like, first of all, I'm grateful for the fact that I was able to put a lot of my trauma off because I was so busy. Because mm -hmm. I don't know what I would have did with that idle time. You know what I mean? Like, I was highly depressed. Like, I felt suicidal. All of that. You know what I mean? Like, I was very convinced that I wasn't going to live past 25. Like, at 17, 18, I was very convinced of that. I'm like, there's no way. Like, I didn't see life after 25. Even when I turned 25, that was a mind for me. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, damn. I did not visualize life this far. Wow. And then right there, I drew up a 20-year plan. Because you look at suicide differently. Because a lot of people, especially in, in New York, it's probably all over the world, but especially in New York, when growing up as a kid, when you think of suicide, the first thing that people think is you're soft or you're weak. Right. But then when you start having those emotions and that feeling, you, are, you, you realize it's far from that. First of all, it's weird to say this, but like I think suicide is an incredibly brave thing. It's it like, is. No, it is. You have to have a lot of audacity to do that to yourself. You know what I'm saying? And then it's like to withstand that pain or whichever way, like, you know, like it's heavy, but it's like, there's nothing soft about that. Nothing at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember when I was at that point, I'm feeling low and like as low as I was feeling and as convinced I was that like I didn't really want to live, I couldn't find that courage to actually do it. My, my homegirl Jazz, rest in peace, she did it in 2020, completed suicide. That's what they say to say, Shanti Das. But uh, Jazz said she was so intentional and so calculated and so strategic that when she did it, in my mind, I, I processed it like she just knew it was her time to go. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I've, I've never had that feeling like it's time for me to exit, you know, but even if you go look at her Twitter, she was saying things like, I wonder what my next life is going to be like and things like that. So, Something came over her where she knew today is my day. Yeah, nah, Steez, it was the same way with Steez. You know what I'm saying? Like, he definitely was vocal about it leading up to it happening. You know what I'm saying? And, like, when I, it was just, it was weird, man. It's weird. That, uh, did the port, did the, buying that new Porsche 911, did it really help your mental health? That's what you say on that? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes you got to show yourself, like, what you can like achieve like it with, with it being a superficial item and a material thing to me it, it more represented me having a goal mm -hmm. you know and me proving to myself once again like anything is possible like that was my dream car mm -hmm. and I could have got it for a long time but then one day I just decided yo I'm gonna do it and yeah it really did something for my state of being my mm -hmm. state of mind you know what I'm saying like I had to prove to myself like 
I know all I gotta do is be connected to the source, but <laughs> nah, I need the Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I love about you, Joey, man, is like yeah. when you when you see a black man doing the work, it does reflect in his life. It reflects in the way he looks. It reflect, reflects mm -hmm. in his career professionally. Just probably your best body of work album wise. You see what Appreciate you're doing that. in Hollywood. Appreciate so that's why, man, when I see when I see that and I hear you telling these stories about going to therapy and everything, I'm like, that's gonna convince so many more black men to go. Go do the work. Absolutely, man. It's like, you know, I always pride myself on being some type of role model. Cause it's like with this position I got, with this stature, with this platform, it's like I got so many people listening. And I feel like the least I could do is implant seeds mm -hmm. that'll sprout, like, you know, more opportunity for these people or just, you know, wisdom that'll transmute into the right directions for these people and stuff like that. And also just making them not feel alone. Mm -hmm. Like I realized that like my most relatable work is my most vulnerable work. And usually when I go there, like a survivor's guilt mm -hmm. or a show me, people relate to that more. Mm -hmm. We appreciate you for joining Joey us. Joey Badass, yes, man. Keep growing, my brother. It's yes, Joey sir. Badass. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Your mornings will never be the same. When it's time to get with someone special, the best way to do it is with Magnum Large Size Condoms. That gold foil wrapper is a badge of honor and it means you're protected. And you take care of things with comfort. Except no substitutes. Bring the pleasure with the gold standard. Magnum Large Size Condoms. It's topic time. Call 800-585-1051 to join into the discussion with The Breakfast Club. Talk about it. Morning, everybody. It's DJ MV, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Now, if you just joined us, we're talking about Kevin Gates. And anyway, open up the phone lines, 800-585-1051. Now, Kevin Gates posted this, uh, posted this on uh, Twitter yesterday. If a woman comes in the bathroom and talks to me while I'm taking the ish, I find that very romantic. Now, do you like when your um, wife comes in the bathroom and has a conversation with you, Charlamagne? Absolutely not. That's not something that we do. I hate poop, first of all. Don't like it. I know everyone does it, but it's literally one of my least favorite things to do. I don't look at it when it's in the toilet. I know some people like to look at it and make sure it's like, you know, in the the, the, the shape of the Superman logo. Yeah, like, I don't do, I, yeah, I don't do none of that. You know what I mean? I think when you are moving bowels, it's a sacred experience and you should expel waste by yourself. I don't want my wife in the bathroom with me while I'm pooping. There's nothing cute about that. There's nothing sexy about that. I mean, to me, now, Kevin Gates, that's his, to him, to each his own, but to me, no. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I don't. I don't see nothing sexy with. It. I don't want to have a conversation. Although I set up shop when I go to the bathroom, though. Like I set up. Like I'm not in the bathroom for like thirty seconds. I'm. I'm magazine. Nah, not me. Books. Nah. Uh, I got my phone. Nah, I'm too old. So I'm, my I'm leg. I'm doing something. I'm, I might be paying my bills while I'm doing. Like I. I. I really take my time. Like I. I sometimes I'm on there so long, my feet fall asleep. That, that happens to me all the time, and I don't even got to be on there long. That's why I don't do it no more. I meant to get. I, I like them uh, step stools. My, my sister Alicia Renee told me a long time ago to get one of them stools, like it's like a, a squatty potty. There you go. When you put your legs up while you pooping. So you put your legs up while you poop? That's too. That's just too much. But I will tell you something. When I got a colonic, I did that. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. I'm not gonna lie. You, what part did you like? What? The colonic part. I like the whole process. Oh, okay. I mean, it's a little uncomfortable, but I'm talking about like when the, after the colonic is done, you got to go sit on the toilet in the colonic place. And she had a squatty potty in there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to lie, man. I don't know if it was the colonic or the squatty potty, but it dumped. Like, you dumped. Dump, dump. You know what I mean? It, it was. It felt good, and my legs weren't sleepy when I got up. I'm glad you found it good. But yeah, to answer your question, no, I don't want my woman in the bathroom with me while I'm taking a poop. Nah, me neither. And I don't want to be in there with her while she taking. Nah, poop. me neither. Hello, who's this? Hey, what's up? This is Sam representing the Bronx. Hey, what's up, bro? We're talking about uh, you know, pooping in front of your uh, partner. 
Alright, so check this out. Think about it. Normally, how many people have you pooped in front of? What? I never thought, I never thought about it. And not like even that. very few. Nobody besides my wife. And this is when, when it has to happen. But I'm not, I don't think I've ever pooped in front of my wife. My mama when I was a baby. <laughs> Probably. Exactly. So the highest level of intimacy is pooping in front of your partner. No, it's you not. no more intimate than that. That is not That's true. That's romantic. That's just simply Definitely not, not true. not romantic. So, and, and only my wife only comes in the bathroom if she has to. Like, it might, like she might need something out the bathroom. And when she comes in there, she's coming in like full gas mask on like, ah! And by your logic, you might as well walk around with a diaper on and let your wife change you and wipe you and all kind of stuff. Is that like intimate that. too? Absolutely. It's all special. Have a, have a blessed day, sir. Have a blessed Don't day. Don't kink shame him. Have a blessed day. Don't kink shame him. Hello, who's this? Hey, what's going on? Um, this is a stop. What's up, DJ MVO? This is lit. I'm walking on the radio. This is lit. It's lit. That's a fact. You poop in front of I your partner, though, bro? I'm sorry? You poop in front of your partner? Um, Yeah, I do. Definitely, you got to, because that, that lets you know that that's a, you got a real one. That means that he's down for the hit. You know what I'm Boy, saying? Boy, y'all, y'all got some weird ways to make sure that your woman is a real one. Nah, because, no, you, I mean, because you have to, because that's something natural, and people be like, ill, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you first start dating somebody, like, you hold, you know how many spots you hold in? Yeah, that's not healthy. You gotta let it out. So somebody that you can feel comfortable with, that, that let you, you, you could. First of all. The door open and all that. We have conversations. First of all, I don't fart in my clothes. That's number one. That's number nice. two, why would you want to fart around anybody? That's just disrespectful. Like, it just, like, nobody just sits around and farts. You ain't never just been in a casual conversation with a person, and they just fart. Maybe when you was a kid but when you're an adult you don't do stuff like that so why would you do that around your wife so this is what i do when i if, if i'm in public and i gotta fart i just i just step away i just say excuse me i step to the side fart and let it air out wait about a couple of seconds because you don't want it to linger and then to bring respect. the back that's respect that's, what you gotta do. that's respect so why that's wouldn't you give your woman that same respect why would you fart in front of her just because you think you can that's just disrespectful no, bro that's not for you, Wilder. We've been together for a while. You know what I'm saying you fought. You gotta let. If you gotta go, you gotta go. Like it's, it's a family member at this point. If you, you know what I'm saying, you no. Go. DJ, I'm sure you fought in front of your wife. Uh not on purpose. Yeah, but you gotta let it go. It, it, yo, you, you know it's a, it's a chemical imbalance when you um hold yeah, that. I mean, that's yeah, I don't I, fart I, in front of. My, I don't fart I will, in my clothes. I will, sir. Fall, yeah, I will fart. I will pass gas in front of my my wife and my my kids and my family. Not right. me. I ain't issuing in front of her. Like, uh -huh. We're not. I'm not gonna like, hey babe, let's have this conversation in the bathroom while I'm pooping. I'm not gonna do that. Wait, real quick, I just want to say this. I want to keep y'all too long. Yo, I've been calling the, the 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 radio since I was a kid. This is my first time ever getting through. That's wild. That's crazy. I'm, this is going to be a good day today. Follow me on the gram. I'm Charlotte, and I'm every Follow me on the gram. All right. All right, man. I will say the beauty of having young kids, because, you know, I got a, I got a, I got a six-year-old and a, a, a soon-to-be three-year-old. Like, if you do accidentally fart, you can always blame it on them. I do that all the time. <laughs> Hello, who's this? <laughs> Hey, what's up, Envy? Uh, this is uh, Big Luke from Myrtle Beach. Hey, what's up, brother? Myrtle Beach. We're talking about pooping hey, in front man. of your partner. Uh-huh. I got to say, man, I thought about this, and I got to say, yeah, I, I did find a romantic first time it happened, and I thought she was the one, because back in high school, I was that cat that I couldn't poop in front of everybody, so I had to go to the Voltex building. <laughs> so I felt like if I felt that comfortable around her, she was the one. Why would you have to poop in front of everybody, sir? You know, when you go, you know how kids are in high school, so, man, I'm sure you got traumatized some when uh, you go to the regular bathroom and if you poop in high school, everybody comes and opens the door and messes with you and do whatever, you know what I mean? I can honestly cool. say, and this is not a lie, I've never pooped in high school. I never pooped in the bathroom in high school. You held it till you came home? I just never had to in school. I don't know why. My bowels got a lot more regular as I got older. 
In school, I never, I never, I never pooped in high school. Then uh, you have a strong stomach because that pizza and meatloaf surprise had me going man, after third period. Wait, wait, wait when did you come out? Uh, ninety four. And you came out in ninety four. Damn, that's I came out in ninety well ninety eight, but I was supposed to be ninety six. So, <laughs> damn. Yeah, I don't remember pooping in high school. Mm-mm, I never pooped yeah, in high school. Hey, me neither. I, I also just want to say, man, I love the positivity you brothers keep it going. I appreciate it, and it keeps me going every day, man. Thank you. All love, right, King. All right, what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is to each his own. You know what I'm saying? I'm just telling you what I don't do. You know what I mean? Kevin Gates, that's what works for him and his queen. You know, me and my queen roll a different way. That's all. But once again, I don't like poop. I don't even like to be in the bathroom with myself when I poop. This is The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. All right. Well, you got a positive note? Now, the positive note is simply this. After getting what you manifested, because this is very important. Everybody want to have their vision boards and manifest things. And, you know, a lot of us get those things that we manifest. But after getting what you manifested, ask for discipline to keep it and wisdom to multiply it. Have a blessed day. Breakfast Club, bitches! Y'all finished or y'all done? Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Bring it every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.